0: hello and welcome to another episode of the god's story podcast uh, we're up to episode nine and today we're continuing our series with uh, Rido, the reverend ian reed on hebrews ian reed from king's grace the reverend ian reed from king's grace presbyterian church palmerston north in new zealand Rido, welcome back to the show
1: How'd you got the reverend in there yes uh, brent it's very it's Ab- very important
0: absolutely yes <laughs> Ian, we've been considering Jesus our great high priest. What have we learned so far uh, from the writer of Hebrews about how Jesus fulfills the role of the high priest?
1: What he does is he he does what any good high priest does, or any priest does, is that he, uh, he he enters before God and offers atonement for sin. But the difference is that unlike a, an earthly high priest, uh, Jesus is able to enter the uh, before God's throne and offer himself as that sacrifice uh, for sins once and for all. We're going to come on
0: today to talk about one of the most controversial parts of scripture, I suppose. Uh, this passage in chapter six, which talks about what sounds to me like a very real possibility of us falling away in some sense. But in what sense are we, are we in danger of falling away from Jesus?
1: And the end of fort five and uh, chapter 6 uh, a kind of an aside, but they're also a warning, aren't they, that, of the possibility of falling away. And when we kind of get into chapter 6, I think I'll kind of go on a little bit more about what that means. But I personally, uh, I'll say that if Jesus intends to take us all the way in, he has taken us all the way in, there is absolutely nothing to worry about. But at the same time, this is not a hypothetical warning. Uh, he's kind of just saying, hey, you need to you need to go all the way in and you need to continue in your faith.
0: Okay, well, let's come on to look at the uh, passage. We're going from, uh, where did we get to last time? Uh, verse 11 of, of Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going on to look at chapter 6 as well. So first of all, verses 11 to 12 of 5, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time, You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now, why does the writer write what he writes here?
1: I think it's because they're having to keep going over the gospel again and again uh, and maybe they're a bit sick of doing that, but they they want to move on to some things that are a bit more complex, uh, some things that that will help them uh, kind of uh, grow in their faith, but they're having to go back over again and again on the basics of the gospel. Uh, And it's not about moving on from the gospel. It's moving deeper into the gospel that they want to go, Uh, but they're having just to go back over again and again on the the very basic things on, on grace uh, and on righteousness and, and those types of things,
0: is that why he, he says the writer says that these people have been babies?
1: Uh, so it says you need milk, not solid food. You know, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. You know, it's kind of this idea of you know a, a young a young baby uh, just only able to drink milk and not able to to eat food yet uh, that they're having to just to kind of keep drinking this, this very basic kind of food.
0: What's, what stops us, do you think, uh, Rito, from moving on to deeper spiritual things today? What stops us today in the West or anywhere in the world from moving on to deeper spiritual things in the church
1: I think it 's an inability to, that we 've really grasped the gospel properly. I think if we 're unable to grasp the gospel properly, you can 't move on because you gotta, you have to keep coming back and, and asking some of the some, you know what basic kind of questions of am I saved, how am I saved? Uh, how sure am I about my salvation? And if you're coming to back to to always answer those questions, how can you move on to some of those deeper deeper truths uh, that we know about who God is, about who Jesus is, and how we live, and and how the Spirit kind of influences my life?
0: Do you think uh, we, we're in New Zealand? Of course. Do you think that the New Zealand Church, that we we in the New Zealand Church, sometimes lack discernment?
1: I love the we there because I myself. Uh, we're a part of. Oh, we we are, aren't we? Definitely, and and I I feel responsible as well for the for the New Zealand Church. You kind of, uh, but yes, definitely. Uh, when when my wife and I first moved uh, from Australia to New Zealand, that was one of the things that that really struck us was that people would be listening to some really good sermons or uh, kind of reading some good books, and then there'd be often some crazy things as well. And I just I never understood how those two things went together, and it just it just kind of astounded me. It was like I'm listening to those same sermons and I'm getting some good teaching out of them. And, uh, but then you're listening to things about gold dusting and all this other stuff. And I just, I just not sure how people were ever able to hold them together.
0: Yeah. Are we living on milk? Do you think in the church, in the, in the modern church
1: or much of it? I think so. I think, I think we just kind of, people are wanting to bounce around and find things that are exciting rather than able to move on to some deeper things that, that, may not appear exciting, but will actually give them growth and kind of help them in their assurance and help them in their trust for who God is.
0: Okay, well, let's move into chapter 6, and we'll get into these warning passages. Uh, Reading from verse 1, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, which is what you've been talking about earlier, and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So in in what sense can we never move on from the gospel, Ian?
1: It has to be our foundation. As soon as we move on from the gospel, particularly if we try and move on from grace, then we move on to what we talked about kind of previously, that we try and it becomes Jesus plus something else. Uh, and it's just a big issue. And, and it's a big issue that, that all of us have. We, we all do it in, in different ways. Uh, we try and sneak other things in there. Uh, but if we don't keep coming back to that gospel uh, and we don't have that as our foundation, then, of course, we, we're just going to move on and end up potentially uh, kind of losing our faith.
0: How do we build then? Uh, on the foundation of our faith what what should we do as a church to build on the foundation of our faith
1: it's got to start with god's word uh kind of together and holding that as the as the 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 core of of what we believe and kind of the the thing that we're always coming back to and god allowing god to speak to us through his word uh, but it's it's more than that as well it's that as a community you you live that out you are not afraid of talking about some hard things, of looking at some some hard doctrines. Uh, but if we're not afraid of those things, and we kind of do them, we'll actually find that they're rich things that they, that they will grow us, that they will build. Uh, not only us as a community, but they as individuals as well, they'll build our faith.
0: If there is a pastor or a, a church leader listening to this who thinks, yeah, I wonder how I do this. How do I build on a foundation? How do I actually preach the gospel? How do I teach it to people? What would
1: your advice be? In the Bible. <laughs> I know that sounds a bit <laughs> a bit silly, doesn't it? Uh, but one of the things that I hope uh, as it, our community kind of as we worship together, that whenever whenever we gather, we always have a Bible open at some point and we're allowing God to speak to us through it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to get 100% right. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're always uh, kind kind of going to you know, do it in everything that we do. Uh, but we want to try and open the Bible as much as we can because we believe that's where God speaks. Uh, Even in our evangelism, that, that has to be the source of our evangelism is Bibles open, allowing God to speak to people.
0: Okay, well, let's come on to the uh, verses which we've already hinted at, the controversial ones, Uh, reading from verse 3 to 8 of chapter 6. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Okay, well, why have these verses
1: caused so much angst? It's a warning kind of passage, isn't it? Uh, But they, they have caused lots of angst, And this was actually uh, Hebrews as a book. People were unsure whether they should include it in the canon uh, because of this passage. And it was just kind of, it caused lots of people some trouble. Uh, But in the early church, after it had been included, uh, people thought, well, if I sin after I've become a Christian, well then that's going to be a big problem Uh, because this passage clearly says I've fallen away uh, and that means I'm I'm no longer a Christian, and so people would wait; they would hold off their baptism and just to just before they died, uh, to kind of, and then they'd be baptized because that was their cleansing, you know, kind of moment, uh, just before they died, and then they, they, uh, you know, to make sure that they didn't sin in, in kind of in between. Then, but there was a um, uh, there was an early church writing that that said, if you uh, become a Christian, if you're baptized, if you sin once. Uh, and then you repent. That's okay. But if you do it a second time, that's it. You're out of the kingdom. You've lost your faith altogether. Mm. How these, I'm not sure why they, they came up with two. I'm not sure why it was two and not one. But anyway, yeah.
0: yeah. How have these verses been interpreted? Because there've been lots of different interpretations of of these verses through the centuries, haven't there?
1: Well, that, that's one of them. That that if you if you sin after you've kind of become a Christian, then that's it. You kind of get out. Uh, one other one is that it's just hypothetical like it's a, it's a warning but it won't really happen uh, that you that that you won't really fall away uh, but you know like a a parent who kind of saying well if you misbehave you you're not going to go to your friend's party but it's kind of an empty threat maybe um, we try never to use that one in our house it's not usually a great threat <laughs> um, because you want them to go to the party so you can get a bit of free time. <laughs> but uh but the the sorry sorry you go on Brent. no no you carry on carry on i was just saying the the, the third one is that um people have the kind of the, the the spark i think calvin kind of says spark of sparks of the spirit and so they kind of look as if uh they they have been saved uh, and that God's word is so truthful that it can look like the spirit is working, uh, but maybe isn't. Uh, and so it is the possibility of turning away from that. They haven't actually received the spirit. They haven't actually believed, but because they've kind of encountered the truth, it kind of, there's been sparks of that somehow.
0: So how how do we deal with cases in our own experience of people who appear to have fallen away or turned away from Christ? Because we should we should repeat that we've dealt with this in previous weeks. But you and I are to use this word Calvinists. I think we're biblical, but anyway. And so we believe that we can't we can't ultimately fall away because, as you said, Jesus keeps us to the end. Uh, and these is indeed a hypothetical passage. But how how do we deal with cases in our own experience of folk who appear to have spent I have to to have spent time away from the Lord, sometimes many years.
1: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think at the end of the day, we need to understand that we're not God. We don't look, in, we don't peer into people's hearts. So what might look like genuine faith, maybe it isn't uh, in other people. Uh, and what might look like genuine kind of lack of a better word, backsliding, it, it, maybe it's, it's just a, peer, a period in the wilderness that people need to go through before they come back and, you know, kind of their, their faith is is reignited, not not in a sense that they had fallen away, but in a sense of th- that there need to be a, a rediscovery maybe somehow. it's 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 a difficult one, isn't it, because our theology and our practice needs to match up. but the big thing is that we can't really do that because we're not God. We can't peer into people's hearts and kind of work that out uh, where people are really at.
0: Okay, so how then does this passage stand as a warning? For us,
1: well, I think the issue for them it, it kind of stems back to to what's being said right at the beginning, uh, that they, what I think the author is worried about is that if we're having to go over the gospel again and again and again, is that maybe you're not believing, and I think that's the issue is, and that's why the warning is there. Is this not really a warning about uh, for people who are solid in their faith, who've uh, you know? They have assurance and suddenly something happens and they and they run away i don't think it i don't think it's necessary about that i think the context is uh mm-hmm. these people they're, they're trying to work out who jesus is uh, and they're they're kind of having to go over the gospel again and again and maybe that's a sign uh that they haven't gone all the way in yet they haven't believed yet and so it's the warning to say do that go all the way in. Jesus is good enough Jesus will take you all the way there
0: Inherit the promises. Now, how does the writer here challenge the Hebrews to, or or, but also comfort them in these verses? How does he challenge them and then comfort them?
1: That's what you kind of get here in in nine to twelve, isn't it? Is the comfort again? It's it's kind of I'm speaking harshly to stir you up. You know, I want I want good things for you. I want what's best for you. I'm going to stir you up with some harsh words, uh, but only so that you can receive the good things. And that, that's what we kind of, we need to, to read the whole thing in, the con, in context. If we don't do that, then we do end up, we could, can end up with some bad theology. But if we read it, the whole thing uh, in context, what do we see? We see God wants good things for you. God will not overlook your work. He won't overlook your love for him. And you, know, the, you can have assurance uh, and hope that, that he will take you all the way there.
0: Okay, well, then how do verses 13 to 18 speak of Abraham? Do you want me to read it? It's
1: quite yes. a large chunk. Yeah, do that. Okay.
0: For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, Now, how is the promise of Abra to Abraham related to us then in this passage?
1: Well, it's about the patience, isn't it? That you know, Abraham was given these promises way back in Genesis twelve, and then they kind of keep repeating themselves. And those promises were that that he would have many descendants, that he would receive land, and that he would be uh, that he would be blessed, and he would be a blessing to the whole world. Uh, and it's about patience there, but. In verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, when you read the story, Abraham's not the most patient person on earth, is he?
0: No, uh, he didn't wait patiently, did he? That was the whole problem.
1: <laughs> he's not the most trustworthy person either at points, but <laughs> it's it's kind of the point. You know, when you read the story, it is kind of the point is that God is trustworthy and Abraham, he's all right. He's not, a, you know, kind of, he's like you and I, he's pretty good. He's probably better than you and I. Well, he's probably better than me. I can't speak for you, Brent, but. He doesn't wait patiently all the time, though. Uh, but the point is God's faithfulness to Abraham. That, that God, it says there that he promises with two things, that, that the two things are an oath and a covenant. Uh, and so those two things are quite important, that God's kind of promises these things and they are certain that they're going to happen.
0: Let's finish off chapter uh, 6 with these 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. We're back to the tabernacle and the temple again, aren't we? Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So how does our hope follow Jesus into the sanctuary then?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's this kind of... The idea, again, of faithfulness, isn't it? That it is God's faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to him. Uh, And let me just read there nineteen again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, that Jesus is the one that was able to go there. Uh, And if he is our advocate, if if he is our high priest, uh, then we're able to go with him. And this is the, the kind of the beauty of what Jesus is able to do. He advocates for us. He intercedes for us. He's our mediator. I mean, you could just keep throwing words at what he does. Uh, but because of that, because he has actually done it, we can go within him. It's a place that we can't go. No one's allowed to go. The, the, the idea of the, the tabernacle, the, the inner place behind the curtain, being the holy of holies in the temple, No one's allowed in there except for the high priest, and only once a year. And they used to they tied a rope to his his leg in case that if he got if he got it wrong, you know the sacrifices weren't sufficient or whatever. They could drag him out because if anyone else went in there, they'd be they would die. Uh, And then they on his uh, on his garments they they had little bells to make sure that when he they could hear him when he was moving around uh, to make sure that he was still alive. That's how holy this place is. That even the high priest. After he's offered all these sacrifices, he goes in there, and um, they're even not short. Sure. Imagine being that that the high priest once a year going in there. You're literally risking your life every year when you go in there, uh, and then we're told that we can enter in there kind of freely. It's kind of it's ridiculous, isn't it?
0: Yes, it's mind blowing. Um, and to a Jewish audience, it must have been completely mind blowing at the time. So summing it all up then, coming to the end of it, Rito, how does Hebrews teach us that we are secure in Christ and that we don't get saved by our works? How does it teach us that we're secure in Christ and we don't get saved by our works?
1: We do have, I mean, it is a difficult passage, isn't it, this one? Uh, And it it has caused a lot of trouble uh, throughout history. And kind of us, particularly me sitting in Palmerston North, Uh, kind of a few thousand years later, I'm not going to add much to the discussion, (laughs) but what I do know in kind of what we're being told here is that this, what we're seeing in 19 and 20, this is what God hopes for us. Uh, This is what we're being encouraged to kind of see, encouraged to kind of um, take hold of really, is that we are able to enter into the inner place before God's throne of grace, which uh, we, we encountered it last week. Uh, that throne of grace, you know, we can go to God Himself uh, without worry. We can go boldly. It's kind of an amazing thing that 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 we that this has been offered to us, and we can do it without being scared of God. Mm.
0: Rito, Reverend Ian Reed of King's Grace Presbyterian Church Palmerston North in New Zealand. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I think the next time we meet, Rito uh, we're going to be talking to or hope to be talking to Alistair Roberts from the UK about more about the tabernacle, actually. I want to ask him a lot of questions about tabernacle. And one of the things that's always puzzled me is how the seven days of creation permeate the Bible, how they have this deep structure of the Bible. So we need, we need Alistair to help us with that one, brother. Oh,
1: he's the expert on that, so I look it's forward to that too. Yeah.
0: All right then. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.